Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chubb Bryant. Jerry's over there, and we all want to warn you that if you are squeamish, you should skip this one. And if you're a man, you may just sit there with your legs crossed the entire episode. Yeah, don't be confused. We're not talking about circumcision. We already did that one. This right. one's castration, and it is nothing like circumcision, really. No. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I'm pretty proud of our circumcision episode. That one was really good. It had it all. It had history. Yeah. Uh, anatomy. Um, scalpels. Yeah. Controversy. Controversy. That was a good one. This one's a little different. This yeah. is castration. It better not be anything like circumcision because that means something has gone very wrong. Or with, you just haven't moral. finished. Yeah. All right. Castration. So, yeah, castration. <laughs> I don't remember how this came up, but this is from a blog post I wrote. Uh, yeah. You, you did a great job. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to find out everything there is to know about castration. And I did pretty much. I've got a couple of historical bullet points for you. Okay. Um, apparently in 1778, Thomas Jefferson introduced a bill reducing punishment for rape, polygamy, and sodomy from death to castration. Oh, okay. TJ. And, you know, we should also point out, we got a lot of letters from people about the revisionist history with Thomas Jefferson that said, you know, Sally Hemings was more than likely forced into that relationship. Yeah. And some people go so far as to call Thomas Jefferson a rapist himself. Huh. For that relationship. And um, so I had never seen that, but then I did some reading, and that is a theory that we can't really base and say, hey, they were in love. Right, you took the, she the was Pocahontas route, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they were in love because they <laughs> made love. I don't know that I'm going to go out and say that he was a rapist, but yeah. um, it's it's definitely some hinky history. Well, that's a really excellent point. Like with revisionist history again, like yeah. a lot of its interpretation. But I mean, if you do look at it, like she was his slave, sure, and they had a relationship. Like, how, how can it be consensual? Right, and, or at the very least, it's it's tarnished with the concept that she was a slave, and there's yeah. a chance that he forced her into it. So thanks for everyone who wrote in. Yeah, um, and also the other quick thing is that Genghis Khan supposedly legend Genghis. says. That Genghis might have been castrated himself. Really? By a princess seeking revenge. Uh, I can't remember his name. Genghis Khan? No, no. no. <laughs> uh, Hang Si or Hang Fi. I can't remember. He was like the admiral of the Chinese Navy yeah. when they were undertaking basically their own age of exploration that a guy named Gavin Menzies thinks beat Columbus to the New World yeah. in 1421. He was uh, castrated as well. There's actually been a lot of very prominent people in history who've held positions of great power yeah. who were castrated people. It's very interesting. Hadn't heard of Genghis, though. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's not verified. No. You could see that being like a rumor that his enemies made up or something. Sure, to seem make him seem weaker or something. Sure, but, you know, we should point out that... Um, with this, with the, the concept of castration as, as shocking and as weird and horrific as it sounds, there is yeah. like a certain, um, certain group of people who are either castrated or interested in being castrated that there's nothing really weird to it at all from yeah. their perspective. Sure. So, um, let's talk about this. This is not like a, a widespread thing today. Right. But if you look back into the ancient world, um, 
it was actually fairly common, especially in parts of Asia like Korea and China. A lot of their high bureaucrats were actually castrated. And um, like I said, a lot of them went on to hold great places of prominence in history. Yeah. And very oddly, there's been some sort of um, longevity research into the idea that if you're castrated male, you may live longer than the average male. Yeah. You found a study uh, from 2012 mm-hmm. uh, from Korea yep. that eunuchs, and that's a word you're going to hear a lot, um, the subject group, uh, group produced more cen- centenarians, uh, that's people who live 100 or ol- older than um, 130 times more right. than just normal folks in the West. And yeah. Not to say they're abnormal, but you know what I mean. Well, and they're non-eunuchs. Uh, right. Yeah. And their average lifespan of that group was 14 to 19 years higher than a c- the control group. Interesting. Um, the thing is, as somebody pointed out, like, well, they were high bureaucrats, so their life was cushier. They were less likely to be killed in an ox accident or something than their contemporaries. They're also less likely to die from an STD. Well, yeah, that's another really good point, too, you know? that I hadn't thought about. Uh, another study, though, that, that um, had similar findings, too, though. So uh, it is possible, the theory goes, that without testosterone raging through your body, um, your lifespan could conceivably increase over time. That's true. Okay. So who else famous? I know uh, Boston Corbett, Thomas Boston Corbett. Yeah, you said you knew about him already. I'm impressed. I had heard this before. It might have been like a Jeopardy thing. Um, but he was the guy who most people believe uh, shot John Wilkes Booth, who shot Lincoln. And he was castrated himself. He castrated himself. He was a yeah. case of <laughs> auto castration, and there aren't that many on record of auto castration. But um, may I? Sure. So, Mr. Corbett, <laughs> um, you said he was the guy who shot John Wilkes Booth against orders, even. Yeah, he was, he was to be taken alive, and this guy shot him. Yeah, I didn't know it's disputed, but some people say he didn't do it. But um, I think he, he's largely held responsible. So uh, later on in life, he uh, his he became widowed. He was a widower. Uh, his wife died is another way to put it. And uh, he was worried about being tempted by other people, other women. So he one night took a pair of scissors and castrated himself. Wow. And then he went to church for the evening service, mm-hmm. went home and had dinner, and then decided to go to the local doctor's house to see if it should get checked out. Um, that obviously made national news. One of the, one of the ideas that um, suggests Corbett was crazy when he did this. Yeah. It was that he was a hatter. That was his profession. And hatters at the time worked with Mercury, Mercury which the um, the phrase mad as a hatter, yeah. the mad hatter, it's because people who made hats worked with Mercury and all of that Mercury poisoning over time supposedly affected their personality and their IQ. What did they do with the Mercury? Do you know? I think it was it had something to do with giving the hat its shape. Okay. I'm not sure. I, lo- I looked for this and I couldn't find it, but I did find that that idea is in dispute. Um, well, I did see that Corbett cited a Bible verse. Um, it's not surprising they went to church after. Uh, Matthew 19:12. may I? Please. Uh, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, mm-hmm. and there are eunuchs who were made so by man, and then there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to do this, let him do it. Right. So there was another early church father who 
carried out auto castration because of that same Bible verse. So they're talking about in the Bible, if you're able to castrate yourself for the kingdom of heaven, just go ahead and do that. Right. There is a passage in the Bible that has led to at least two people cutting off their own genitalia. And this is New Testament, by the way. Yeah. yeah I noticed he said Matthew. The super modern New Testament. Right. <laughs> so... um Corbett was 19th century. That's a fairly recent case. The early church father was obviously in the first couple centuries AD. And then the Korean eunuchs, although, um, they, the, the last one died in 1996. Yeah, that's crazy. pretty recent. Yeah. Um, they were really operating in the more than 19th and early 20th century and then way, you know, earlier in the millennia. But there are cases every once in a while, like, uh, auto castration, um, like every once in a while, like I think in 2006 or something like that, I came across a case study of a person who castrated himself. Um, he was a 20-year-old with what sounds like Cotard's delusion. He said that he had died oh, yeah. and he was trying to wake himself up. That oh, was one well, reason. I bet he was awake. He also said he felt guilty for experiencing lust. And then overall, he said he felt more female than male, but he was heterosexual. So it sounds like he was throwing everything at the wall to see what yeah. stuck. But ultimately, the thing that stuck out to me uh, was he said he felt relief afterward. Like he was he was fine. His affect was flat, but he was fine. Right. He wasn't like, oh, my God, what have I done? And apparently he expressed relief at no longer having his genitalia, which is something we'll get into. It comes up later on. But the point is, when he went into the hospital and doctors found out what he'd done to himself, they thought he was totally crazy. Yeah. And a lot of people would. But it's really important to point out that with castration, it's typically auto-castration that is deemed uh, the result of psychosis. Right. And it's not the castration part. It's the fact that you've harmed yourself. Yeah, just self-mutilation. Exactly. Period. That that's the, that's the part that has the psychosis label attached, not being castrated. And so there's this Internet survey that I think kind of really um, – explodes the idea that you have to be crazy to be castrated or want to be castrated. Yeah, 112 people responded, um, and 40% of those reported a desire to be free from sexual urges. And another 30% said they uh, either wanted to be castrated for the cosmetics, uh, the appearance, Yeah, I guess you, you reference Kindall yeah. appropriately, or as a way to um, act out a sexual fetish. Which, as we'll yeah, learn later, is a thing it in is a North thing. Carolina, or was. Yeah. So as bizarre as this sounds, and as, as um, I guess, across the board and universal, it might seem that, that you know, thinking that you'd have to be crazy to be castrated, or you you would never want to be castrated. Yeah. There are some people out there who do. I think, and I don't think it makes sense for me, but that makes more sense to me than the people who say, like, I just feel like my left arm shouldn't be on my body. Yeah. Because at least castration is tied to lust and these yeah. other things that people think might ruin their lives, these sexual urges. Or in the case of, like, pedophilia, you know, that, that comes up later, too. So yeah. that makes more sense to me than cutting off my left arm because it feels weird. Yeah. You know? Like, would your left arm ever do? Yeah. Well... You know, my left arm. <laughs> have you ever seen my left foot? I knew you were going to say that. I have, of course. I have not. Oh, it's good. That that was the beginnings of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's, like, mastery of acting. Mm -hmm. He was amazing in that. That was the first time I'd heard of him, I remember. Yeah, I think 
I don't, I don't think that was his first movie. Uh, I think My Beautiful Laundrette was before that. No, no, no. There was another one that I saw that was before that. It was a Merchant Ivory film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was in it, and it was, man, it was a Merchant Ivory film. I think he made uh, his name, though, and won the Academy Award for that, my love. For, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Well, so, let's talk about the history, huh? Yeah. Um, I saw a, a thing that was disturbing, that in Korea, um, they would castrate boys. You mm-hmm. might want to not listen to this. Fair warning. Who, me? Here it comes. I have to. No, the other people. Um, that they would allegedly dip the genitals in feces and have a dog eat the genitals off. Well, that's a really awful way to do it. Yeah. I can't imagine anything worse. Weird. Yeah, that's it's it's pretty awful. Um So, let's get into why someone do this. If you're a eunuch, you are uh, a trusted um friend of the court, perhaps? Yeah, well, especially in Korea, the reasoning went and again, like for millennia, eunuchs ran Korea at the behest of the the royal families that that had the dynasties in power. Well, you're not going to start your own dynasty, so there's one reason to trust you. That's the point. Uh, eunuchs were allowed to have families, but they had to adopt kids, obviously. Yeah. And any males that they adopted had to be eunuchs themselves to prevent them founding. Since they were very powerful people, they had to kind of die out. Can you? That's so awful. These kids are like, yay, I'm adopted, finally. And then, and then oh. Yeah. Oh, you're a eunuch? Yeah. Uh-oh. Can I go back to the orphanage? Right. Um. The other thing that eunuchs, uh, the other reason eunuchs were trusted, obviously, because they weren't going to be making any moves on the queen. Well, in, in the Middle East especially, harems were very popular. And if you have a harem of wives, uh, you, they need protecting. And you want the guy who's going to protect them to be physically incapable of doing anything with them. Yeah. So, hence eunuchs. Sure. But these are, the the point is... With the removal of these men's genitalia, they were automatically imbued with a, a trust. Yeah. Because they simply were incapable of, of circumventing that trust. Yeah. So that's, that's like one of these weird things about eunuchs is like what goes hand in hand with being a eunuch, at least as far as government or, or power is concerned. Sure. Trust goes hand in hand with it. Isn't the history of this world crazy when you, Really kind of get down to the nitty gritty. Like I, this. Well, that's what we're trying to show, little by little, yeah. just how insane humanity <laughs> is. Uh, so let's move on to the 18th century uh, century in Italy, um, where in 1994 I saw a movie called Farinelli. Did you ever see that? No, again. It was uh, it was a movie about a castrato singer. Um, that's the, I'm glad you said that. Castrato, the plural is castrati. Yeah. Same with gelato. Little, little do you know. Oh, so if your family goes out, you get gelati? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, so his name was Carlo Maria Michelangelo Nicola Broschi. Nice. And his stage name was Farinelli. And it's a good movie. You should get it. It was, uh. It's a biopic. Yeah, it's a biopic about a famous castrato. And in Italy, at the time, there were women weren't allowed to sing in church. So if you wanted that mezzo soprano, you just got a, 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 grown man with no genitalia well yeah sing your heart out the thing is it was illegal to castrate somebody in italy at the time well in in 1870 it became illegal so before that i think they were just sort of well so from my understanding at the very least it was frowned upon because in the 18th century the 1700s um there were there was basically a, a an underground network 
of castration surgeons. Yeah. And there was an anonymous book that came out that was published on it that basically explained how it was done. And apparently they would, um, they would basically take a boy. Here's the thing. You wanted your kid to possibly be a castrato because it could mean wealth for you and your yeah. family. So a kid's parents, a boy's parents would take him to this castration surgeon. The castration surgeon would pinch the boy's carotid artery until he passed out and then cut his testes off. The, the Vulcan death grip. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Then cut his testes off. And this is the way they did it, according to this book from 1718, um, because they tried opium before, but too many of the boys, like, died from... ODing. From, yeah, they yeah. OD'd and died. So they would just pinch their carotid and then remove their testes. Uh, and... A lot of people think that you could do this at any stage and produce a high-pitched voice. Yeah, that's like the whole thing. Like even when you get kicked in the groin, a guy will go. It's right, like can, the old joke. You can thank Martin Short for perpetuating that joke. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's not true. It has to be done before puberty, before your vocal cords have lengthened, and those ninety-five percent of the male sex hormones are produced in the testes. So if you get rid of those. What you've got is a man that continues to grow. And interestingly, castrato, castrati, their limbs grow really long and their ribs, their rib cage gets bigger mm-hmm. because they're, uh, without testosterone, their bone joints don't harden like they should. Huh. So that produces an effect of better able to breathe. And so like, it makes you a better singer, but you're singing through the vocal cords of a child. Right, because during puberty, one of the things, your voice changed. You remember that Brady Bunch where Peter Brady's voice changed? Who can forget? What was going on was the testosterone in his body was lengthening his vocal cords uh, by anywhere between 35 and 92 millimeters. So your vocal cords increased by 65% in length during yeah. puberty. With In a castrato, the vocal cords don't lengthen nearly as much because they've only got about 5% of the testosterone compared to an uncastrated person. But their pharynx grows, their oral cavity grows, their lungs grow, and then, like you said, their rib cage grows to allow their lungs to grow even more, take a deeper breath. So you have somebody who has like this, the ability to hold a note like a a male, a male adult, but a high-pitched resonant voice. Yes, so it's it's a weird combination of like a super powerful, like an extra powerful singing voice mm-hmm. through the vocal cords of a kid. But the upshot is if you remove the testes of an adult male, it, his voice isn't going to change a bit. He, he's just going yeah. to be really mad. His demeanor might. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess, what would you say, 18 what when they outlawed it? 1870 is when it became officially illegal. The thing is, is it was definitely frowned upon because I, I, I found criticism of the church. Yeah. The, the uh, choir at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which is where the Pope says mass. Right. Um, had tons of castrati. Oh yeah. Even though you weren't really supposed to. And the opera houses would have castrati. The thing is, it was very, very, very competitive. So there were a lot of boys who were castrated and never went anywhere with yeah. their singing career. And then over time, they outlawed it, and Italy was kind of like, we should probably stop doing this. Yeah, and maybe we should just let girls sing in church. Yeah. You know? I'm sure that had a pretty big impact. Um, you should see Farinelli. Check it out. It's good. Okay. Um, so you th- might think that this is the kind of thing that went away in, like, let's say the 1800s. But no. It happened up until, in England at least, chemically, the 1950s, because we've talked about this before, the great uh, father of computing 
an inventor of the Turing test. Alan Turing was uh, homosexual, which is illegal. It was. Was at the time. And he was uh, given a choice. You can go to prison or you can take this these injections of Stilbestraw. It's a female sex hormone. <clears throat> and it gave him boobs and made him impotent. Yeah. And he, he laced an apple with cyanide and died by his own hand by eating the apple a couple of years later. Yeah, and I don't think they called it chemical castration at the time. They just were like, this is will limit your libido. Right, so I think that came up in the mid-1960s in the United States. So basically we went from people's parents having them castrated as boys to the state taking over. Yeah. So that's the, that's how castration is typically carried out at the hands of the state these days as punishment um, for a crime. And in 1966, um, a guy named John Money, uh, an American physician, uh, he um, he came up with this procedure, which is just a simple round of injections of something called medoxyprogesterone acetate, which is a birth control used by women. Yeah. And basically, you just take the same round of birth control that uh, you would give a woman and give it to a guy who was having sexual urges that he was scared of or um, sexual feelings for children or whatever, and it would reduce his libido and he would be cured. The thing is, this this first uh, chemical castration in America was voluntary. It was a treatment, basically, yeah. for a pedophile who hadn't committed a crime yet. And the state said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. We're going to start making that compulsory. And California was the first. I think that is a good time to uh, break for a message. And we'll learn about modern castration after that. Okay, so you said California, which is kind of surprising, as liberal as it is, to get on board first in allowing chemical castration as, uh, well, was it, was it still like an option? Or was it no before that it was an option. Like if you were a caught, if you were a pedophile who was caught doing something, or a rapist or something, a sex criminal, sure, um, you could say, "Hey, I heard about this this uh, chemical castration thing. How about instead of going to prison, you just give that to me?" It was a bargaining chip. So if you if you use your penis to commit a crime, (laughs) they would give you this option, or you your lawyer could bring it up. They may not give you the option, but it was something that was out there that you could use to bargain your way out of prison with. Potentially. Gotcha. In the mid-90s, California said, it's not a bargaining chip anymore. Like, you're, this is going to happen to you. Like, this is something that can happen to you. Yeah. This is a, uh, a sentence we can, we can exact on you. Well, the Czech Republic surgically castrated sex offenders until 2008. So did Germany. Yeah. Germany did, I don't think, nearly as long. But for a long time, like, in Europe, that's how um, pedophilia was was cured was through castration or sex offenses. Yeah, and since theirs was surgical, they had a 100% success rate of uh, no recidivism. Is that the word? Recidivism. Recidivism? That's a bonehead (laughs) word. It is. Uh, But that ain't me no more. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the chemical one, uh, the chemical variety can be reversed if you stop taking the drugs. It's generally thought that you, you can go back to achieving erections and doing things with your penis. Well, there is a study, right, of um, of German sex offenders. Well, w- uh, let me tell you about Joseph Frank Smith first instead. Okay. So when you are chemically castrated, the recidivism rate drops from 
for non-treated, uh-huh. like just basically you send the person to prison, there's an 80% chance they're going to commit another sex crime later. Yeah. To just 5% among chemically castrated people. Yeah, it takes the wind out of their sails figuratively. It, it does. And one of the reasons why America got really behind the idea of chemical castration was because of a guy named Joseph Frank Smith. Yeah, this is unbelievable. So back in 1983, he was convicted of raping a woman for the second time, the same woman. Really? Yeah. And they were like, you're you're losing your junk. Yeah. We're going to chemically castrate you. And he basically became this poster boy for chemical castration. He would give interviews about it. He would talk publicly about how it freed him and how it changed his life and yeah. like how this is such a great humane treatment for the for people with you know sex offense problems. Um and all the while he was out there raping and committing other sex crimes while he was giving these interviews. And finally in nineteen ninety eight he got caught. And he was, he was convicted of a few, uh, sex offenses, but he's suspected of 75 more over wow. the years. And the whole reason was he stopped taking his injections. Yeah. I'd, see, that's the thing that I didn't get. Is that not, they just said, here, just take these. I, I guess over time, enough trust. See, that's the thing. Yeah. That you, that trust in Unix was still reflected wow. all these years later on this guy because people thought he was castrated and because he was really working people with his public image as well. Yeah, I think the state would carry out that punishment for, you know, life. For, right. You would think so, but like, I hey, guess over time they're like, every Monday hey, Joe Frank, you've really, you've you really knocked us off our feet. <laughs> you just handle this. We'll give you some needles. You do it at home. Yeah. Or but, maybe he suggested, maybe he's like, Doc, I've, I've seen. Yeah, this, right. I, I can do this. Yeah. But however it happened, whoever was in charge of him getting that that chemical castration injections really dropped the ball and possibly as many as 75 or 80 people were victimized as a result. Uh, so you did mention earlier that something we should clear up. You said that e- even if the uh, testes are removed, there's still that 5% chance. Um, that's because some of your testosterone is made in the pituitary gland. About 5%. Yeah, not all of it comes from the old testicles. Which is why your vocal cords grow some. Right. When you're castrato. So that explains that. Right. The thing is, now we've come to the German sex offender study. <laughs> Called das, das Study. Right. Yeah. So uh, back in 1960, somebody carried out a study of German sex offenders who'd had um, oreectomies. Yeah, that's the testicle removal. Right. So even these guys, uh, orchiectomy, sorry, um, even among these guys, 18% were still able to have sex 20 years after the procedure. These Germans are, uh, they have a stick to it. They're very, they're very efficient. <laughs> but they, uh, that's because their pituitary gland is still generating yeah. enough testosterone that they could get an erection. Well, you know what Germans say. My pituitary gland produces more testosterone by 10 a.m. than yours does all day. <laughs> that's the old saying. Right. Um, if they got a, Penectomy, which is cutting off your testicles and your penis, complete removal of all of your junk, followed by drug therapy to reduce the uh, hormones, then you're basically that's only the only way to get a 100% chance of, of like no following, uh, no crimes. That's the only way to penis. reduce libido. Well, that was my two cents. Yeah. Based on my research, it would take okay. the removal of the penis, the removal of the testes, yeah. and drug therapy to, to drop the I was really dancing around. Yeah. Libido down to nothing. But yeah, that was just my research. Uh, 
So you go on to point out, I think that's very fair to call out some of the positives that people feel. Um, for sex offenders, a lot of them say that, you know what, this is, I feel freed. I feel serenity. I don't have these urges anymore. I did not feel normal and well before, and now I do, and I can go out and live my life as a normal person because no one else knows about what's going on downstairs. But there is criticism of the use of uh, castration in any form by the state as punishment for for a sex crime, though. Uh, Mainly, if it is in the United States at least, if it is punishment for a crime, then groups like, you know, Amnesty International and the ACLU say, well, then that's a cruel and unusual punishment. Sure. Uh, secondly, if you're using it to prevent future crimes, yeah, I can't think of anything more unconstitutional than that. Yeah. Unless it's voluntary. But if it's the state saying, we're going to give you this to keep you from possibly committing a crime that you may or may not commit in the future, you're not supposed to be able to do that. But society kind of looks the other way on that one. And then, thirdly... It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work, as the case of Joe Frank Smith shows us. Yeah. But you're right. There are some people who who have had... um, A liberating experience. Exactly. But they're not necessarily criminals. We should probably divide that right about here. Right. Anyone who's been castrated doesn't mean they're a criminal. Right. Um, there's There's a lot of parallels between... People who voluntarily seek castration and um, asexuals, the yeah. third sexual orientation, who we, we did a podcast on before. Yeah, that was a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that brings us to the final piece of the pie is uh, castration seeking sexual gratification. Right. It's a, a very small niche group of people, I would hope. These are like the the people who are the opposite of the people who want to be castrated to be free from sexual urges and yeah. desires so they can just live their lives in a freer way. These people want to be castrated for sexual gratification. Yeah, like masochists get into this, you know, not all of them, but they're, you know, you know, the old saying, whatever floats your boat. Right. For some people, this floats their boat. And it may seem really weird to us, but and um North Carolina in Waynesville, mm-hmm. which is right outside of Asheville. In 2006, these, uh, well, actually three men. Um, Man, were, they <laughs> you had see a, their mug shots. <laughs> have you seen them? Yeah. It, the, you did. You could have just seen them without the story. Man, like, I know what those guys are into. Yeah. Um, they had a, a quote-unquote dungeon fashion from a enclosed carport, and they carried out uh, surgical castration for people voluntarily at least six dudes voluntarily did this for sexual gratification right? in their little dungeon. They were like underground, unlicensed surgeons who did it in their own home. And um, the reason that people went to this guy, these guys, was because there are supposedly surgeons around the world who will, for enough money, sure. carry out surgical castration. But if you're into like S&M, and that's why you're being castrated. Yeah, they don't allow that. You're going to, well, they're not going to like torture you sexually yeah. before, after, or during the the operation, which is what you're after. Right. And with the castration for um, masochistic purposes, for sexual gratification, uh, the you're never going to have a penectomy. 
because you still want to be able to yeah. have sex afterwards. Sure. But you may have you may have your scrotum removed, you may have one testicle removed, you may have both removed, and you will probably do this under more than one operation over time. But you're being sexually tortured while you're while you're being operated on. Yeah. That's like you said, the, another piece of the pie. That's right. And uh Richard Master Rick Ciara, he was the, the lead um physician, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Yeah. He actually worked for twenty three years as a physician's assistant. So he had a little background. Yeah, from what I understand that none of the surgeries were like nobody died or, right. or or got an infection or anything like that. They seemed to know what they were doing. So it was him, it was his uh partner of twenty years, uh Michael Mendez, and then a man they called their slave, Danny Carroll Reeves. Mm-hmm. Who uh, all pleaded? Uh, originally, they were charging them with um, operating a medical establishment and practicing practicing medicine without a license. Right, and we should also point out, like every single one of their patients was there voluntarily. One guy flew from South America for his surgery. Yeah, like where do you go? Waynesville, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the it's the home of uh, S and M operations. Uh, in the end, they did not get convicted of those crimes. There were misdemeanors. They ended up pleading guilty to felony castration and maiming. Oh, yeah. And uh, Master Rick served a year in prison. Um, Michael Mendez served four months, and the slave man served eight months. And at the time of his life. <laughs> he may have. So I think it's neat that those guys found each other, like three people who are in another thing about <laughs> in this. In this small town? Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, I can understand the, the guy from South America finding these guys from the Internet, but if like these guys were partners for 20 years, and this was in 2006, that definitely predates the Internet. So like these guys who were into some very unique stuff found one another. Yeah, and it may have been uh, thanks to uh, an S&M website because I looked, I was like, I got to see what this Master Rick looks like. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, pictures of him from his uh, profile at collarme.com. Uh-huh. And I was like, collarme.com, what's that? And I was like, oh, well, what do you think it is? Collar. Put a collar on, like a dog collar. Yeah. Yeah. So, right? Yeah. That's okay, exactly not... what it is. I'm hip. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in the know. But, uh, yeah, there was a picture of the dude with his, uh, buttless chaps on and, uh, Master Rick served a year. So, yeah, I feel like if, if there's anything about castration, it's that it has, it encompasses a lot of different people with a lot of for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Over a lot of period of time. Yeah, it's just another one of those weird human things that we have to let you know about. Yeah. And now we never have to talk about it again. <laughs> uh you got anything else? I got nothing else. I've got something else. Uh we'd probably be remiss to not mention the Heaven's Gate cult. Remember them? Yeah. They were castrated and weird. Well, yeah, they were led by Marshall Applewhite. And uh, all of them, all the male members of Heaven's Gate, except for him, was castrated. No, that's not true. He was castrated as well. So all of his followers had to be as well. So, yeah, we should probably, I don't think you could do a castration episode without mentioning Heaven's Gate. I'm glad we did. Yeah. So uh, thank you for joining us. This was castration. If you want to learn more about castration, you can uh, type that word into our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com, because this came from one of our articles. And uh, since I said stuffyoushouldknow.com, that means it's time for administrative details. All right. This is the time in the show where we say thank you to you 
for sending us uh, baubles and trinkets and handmade goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got one, Josh. Okay. Uh, White River Knife and Tool mm-hmm. of Coopersville, Minnesota. Uh, this dude, Luke, sent me a really cool knife. And he sent one, and you were like, here, you take the knife, Chuck. Oh, you spend more time out of doors. Yeah, it was you a very cool knife. You defend yourself against jackrabbits and such. He sent the uh, seven-inch backpacker. And it's awesome, and, and it is super uh, sharp. Yeah, very sharp, and it is from uh, WhiteRiverKnives.com. Yeah, we also want to say thank you to Jack Schaefer for sending us "Life Is Larping, Bro" bracelets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should thank Anthony Lawson who sent us some really cool gifts, pricey gifts, mm-hmm. handmade gifts. Oh yeah, uh, brass spinning tops and bottle openers. You should see Jerry spin this top. She's like, look, it just keeps going. I know it's pretty awesome. Um, these are machine by hand, so. Like, when you look at something this intricate, like, made of metal, I'm like, how do you make this? But uh-huh. the dude makes them by hand. Yeah. So you should check it out at J.L. Lawson and Company, um, which is jllawsonco.com. Yep. Uh, Matt Robb, or Rab, I can't, I don't know how, to, I know him from our correspondence, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name. You mean Matt Broccoli Robb? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he sent us a School on Wheels mobile tutoring program. Umbrellas and stickers, some good swag from his his awesome program out in, I think, uh, Los Angeles, I believe. That's right. School on Wheels. Go check it out. Thank you, School on Wheels. And thanks also to Baby and the Nobodies uh, band that sent us some shirts and CDs. Yeah, thank good you. Good music. Yes. Nice. Uh, Steve, with his uh, plain number of N6NX, sent us a thank you card for accompanying him on a 49-state, three-country, 20,000-mile Cessna journey. Wow. Yeah. Hey, awesome. we, we went on that, did you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and thanks to Jane uh, Jenab. We thanked her before Jane's creation. She does custom knit um, items to benefit animal rescue. 100% goes to animal rescue. Nice. So go to facebook.com slash Jane's creations. Yeah. And um, we're trying to drum up some dough for her, right? Yeah, like buy, buy a little knit cap for someone for Christmas, and 100% of that will go to animal rescue. We want to give a huge thank you to Anna Krukowska. Yeah, Krukowska. She's got one of those last names that's difficult to pronounce until you really look at it, and then you're like, yeah, it's Krukowska. <laughs> she, um, you remember her? She's at InSound. Oh, yeah. So you and I curated a sale at InSound. We just picked our favorite albums, and they put them on sale. And uh, as thank you, she ended up sending us uh, gift cards. That's right. And thank you very much, because I got some pretty cool records as a result. And I got posters. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I also want to say a very, very big thank you to Charlotte Alford for sending me her copy of Dark Dungeons, the Jack Chick uh, Publications track. Oh, nice. Remember we talked about yeah. the Dungeons and Dragons thing? Very cool. I have an original copy of it. Now. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you want to keep going? I've got a couple more. Yeah. Um, let's see. Thanks to Jim Morehouse for sending us the Sasquatch field guides for tracking. Yes. Uh, thank you to... Brandon uh, Vasilia, is that how you pronounce that? Voiska? Voiska? I don't know. I can't read my own handwriting. He sent uh, handmade art books about asthma. Oh, that's right. I remember those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the anima- the asthma books. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Those, those were cool. He's like, please do one on asthma. Here's yeah. some books to bribe you we'll have to that, do that I made myself. Uh, thanks to Emily, who's working in the Enviro- Environmental Conservation Program in Paraguay. She sent us a postcard. We also got a postcard from Budapest uh, from Kristen Curran. Yeah. Uh, and we got a $100 trillion Zimbabwe note. Oh, yeah. 
You remember that? Uh-huh. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, that was from Dave Stevenson. We appreciate you, Dave. Got a 66 postcard from Pauline S. And we got a postcard from Adam Pervez of happinessplunge.com. So thank you very much to everybody for sending us some cool stuff. We appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us uh, whatever on twitter.com. Our handle is SYSK Podcast. You can join us on facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can uh, send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla.